you have your Bibles with you, turn to Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 1. If you find your place, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We'll in Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies... He puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privately set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself, that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till, there, till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, our Father, I pray that you would help us to be about your business, or that we would no longer concern ourselves with the things of this earth, but only the things that please you. And Lord, as we seek you first in your kingdom, I pray that you would add everything else to us. Jobs to work. People to take care of. People to pray for. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Labor for you. Good works that you created us for. God, I pray that you would change our worldview, that we would not adopt the thoughts and the ways of the world around us, but, Lord, that we would study your ways. That we would hide your word in our hearts so that we would not sin against you. Lord, that we would know you better than we know anything else in this world. Help us, Lord, to pursue you with everything that we've got. And to lay all wickedness aside. 
Fill us now with your Holy Spirit and teach us from your word the things that we are to do in light of all that you have done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, uh, Psalm chapter 9 and 10 really go together. And, and if you could read it in, in Hebrew, you would understand that more about the way that it's lined out. In fact, you'd, you'd see it very, very clearly. But since it's in English and it's not put together the way it is in other translations, you miss out on a lot of that. I want to read just the last verse, and it's not going to be on the screen of, of Psalm chapter 9. And that last verse kind of ties them together. It says, Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. And uh, we, we have elections, we get people uh, in place, and we think, okay, this is going to fix all our problems, or, oh no, all our problems are, are coming on stronger. You know, you just, you, you make all these determinations based on what's going on in this world, and really, my life is just live for God every day. Sometimes, if you turn off the television and look outside, everything's okay. <laughs> it's not storming outside, it's sunshine. But uh, we have lots of fears that are drummed into our heads by people who uh, want to, through philosophy and vain deceit, convince you that God's not in control when he is. Even over the governments of mankind. He's in control of the wicked and the righteous. And when you read verse 1 of Psalm chapter 10, it says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Do you ever feel like God's not involved at all? Some people say, well, God was just a watchmaker. He designed this thing, wound it up, and he's letting it play out. That's not true. He is intimately involved in every decision of your life. If I were to write a book, I would write, when God picks out your underwear. Uh, that's what he did to one of the prophets in the Bible. It's a catchy title, but it really just means that God is involved in your day-to-day -day life. And he is all through the Bible. If you see how he interacts with some of the prophets, he makes them do some really strange things. And I tell you that as he has filled us with his Holy Spirit, we now have direct access to the mind of God every day. We can pray and commune with our Lord. He's made our bodies a temple, a place of worship. And some people say, well, you just shouldn't do anything bad to that temple. Well, we'll eat all kinds of stuff. I, I was sitting at uh, a restaurant yesterday. Not really a fancy restaurant. It was Sam's in Tupelo. You wouldn't even think of it as a restaurant, except we were about to sit down and eat some pizza. And I was sitting across from my daughter, and I had this big triangle of death in front of me. And I, I said, oh, all right, let's pray. Lord, bless this food for our bodies. And I thought, man, I don't know what you can do with it, Lord, but uh, there's a lot of stuff in this that could get me killed. I mean, it'll taste really good. Sometimes we'll do things like that and think, you know, what do we do to the temple of the Lord? But it's less concerning what we put into our bodies than what comes out of them to the Lord. The thoughts that we think and the words that we say and the things that we do with our hands and the places we go with our feet, those things really concern the Lord. The food that we eat is not such a big deal. Though people throughout history have made a big deal about the food that you eat and people will uh, throw things in your face if you eat stuff that they don't approve of. I mean, they'll, they'll uh, boycott and, and they'll protest and all kinds of things about food that people eat. Religious people do that. Different religious groups eat certain foods and they don't. Why in the world are we so focused on these temporary things when it's really the spiritual things that matter? And we think that God is not intimately involved in anything. And when you look at this verse, it says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? I want you to look at uh, 
James chapter 4, verse 7. If you want to draw close to God, if you want to have God involved in your life, there's a few things that you can do. In James chapter 4, verse 7. James is a very practical verse or, or book for Christianity. Uh, has some very practical things that you can do. And so in James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, my wife's not in here, but a lot of times I don't go up to her and I say, You need to submit to me. I'm your husband. I don't do that. I'm still alive. Still got my head on my shoulders. Hasn't been knocked clean off. But my wife will say that she is a submissive wife. And, and she says stuff like this. She said, people out there would not believe that I'm a submissive wife. And I said, but I know you are because you've followed me everywhere and done everything that the Lord has led us to do as a family. Sometimes we are strongly opinionated in our lives. And those strong opinions that we hold in our relationship to God need to take a back seat. Whether it's an opinion about politics or about family or about school or church or whatever it is, it all falls in submission to God. And if it doesn't, you're making up your own God. One of my coworkers came to me this week. She said, uh, this concerns me. This Christian blog person has has touted her child and, and doing this transformation with her child and, and all these people are, are commenting, what a positive thing. And she said, one person stood up and said, you're defying God with what you're doing. And that person was attacked and it was turned on them. And I said, you need to understand something. There are people that will call themselves Christians, but they are not serving the God of the Bible. The word Christ is also in the name Antichrist. And the spirit of this world will follow a path and a direction calling themselves Christians when they are working against Christ. Did you know that Baptists were first called Anabaptist? Or Southern Baptist? Did you know that we were called anti-baptism? Do you know why? It's because we were against baptizing babies before they were old enough to understand that it's a choice that you make to serve the Lord and follow Him, and following in baptism is a choice that a believer makes to serve and honor the Lord. So initially we were against baptism of infants. We would baptize people after they made a profession of faith. Well, I think a lot of people that call themselves Christians in this world and they, they will put themselves out there uh, as a Christian religion, many of them are anti-Christ. And you can tell them by studying the Word of God and seeing how they do not line up with the things that Christ taught. In fact, they'll go the very opposite way and profess themselves to be followers of Christ. You have to submit yourself, therefore, to God. You can't make up your own religion and claim uh, the same title. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've, I've used that verse a lot in my life where I felt like there might be some negative spiritual influences in my life. Satan, get away from me and take all your demons with you. I don't want anything to do with you. Resist evil. Resist the devil. Verse 8, it says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Now, it seems like God is everywhere. I don't understand how you can be so distant from God. 
But really, I mean, I've, I've been in the same room with somebody who was mad at me, and there might as well have been miles between us because we weren't going to say a word to each other. You ever been there? So drawing near has nothing to do with space. It has to do with being emotionally and mentally and spiritually connected to somebody to where you are willing to engage with them in a moment's notice. Just because I have a Bible in my house doesn't make me a Christian. When I open the Word of God and begin to pour over Scripture and pray and spend time with Him, I'm drawing near to Him. And James says when you do that, He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. When Isaiah got close to the Lord, he said, woe is me. And, and sometimes when, when Peter, when he was right there next to Jesus and he saw what Jesus could do, he hit his knees. Who are you, Lord? And what you find out is the closer you get to God, the more you realize who you are. You're just a person. You're not perfect in and of yourself. You're not holy by yourself. You've done a lot of things that were not clean, not righteous. I sit here many times on a Sunday morning before I get up to preach Reviewing my week and saying, Lord, forgive me of that, forgive me of that, forgive me of that, before I get up here to say anything to you. I begin to examine myself in the presence of God and try to get right. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, that church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. We're only double-minded if we say that we have no sin. That's what really frustrates people is when you try to tout yourself as a religious and righteous person without Jesus. You're a double-minded person. Verse 9 says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You know, we, we, we get so excited about God and church, religion. And, but I'm telling you, the closer you get to the holiness of God, the less holy you feel. And it's the people that think that they've got everything figured out, they've got it all put together, that they're righteous and holy and good in and of themselves. That's self-righteousness. Because I tell you, if you spend some time in the presence of the Lord, it will make you feel dirty. need a savior the 99 righteous have no need of a shepherd to come find them it's the one that's lost and undone poor old sinner was in the temple beating himself saying God forgive me I'm a sinner and the righteous man was standing there saying Lord thank you that I'm not like that old sinner over there We don't examine ourselves anymore. We examine everybody else. And we say, I'm not as bad as that person, and I'm not as bad as that person, and I'm in church on Sunday, and I don't say the words that they say, and I don't drink the things that they drink, and I don't eat the food that they eat, and I don't hang out with the people that they hang out with. I'm pretty good. No, you're not. There's none righteous, no, not one. 
Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. We could talk all day about ourselves in a positive light. But it's really hard for us to hear our flaws. And to honestly examine yourself before the Lord is to compare yourself to Christ, not to other people, but just to Jesus. And when you find out where you fall short, you repent and ask for forgiveness. Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? If you feel like you're far from God, then you need to draw close to him. Psalm 10, verse 2. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Wicked people are going to set a trap for you. Going to be caught in it. We talked about that last week. Verse 3, for the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. You can follow all kinds of people on social media that are talking about the things that they're doing to get ahead in life and, and the tricks that they do and, and they celebrate one another and doing things that are against the will of God and robbing widows of their houses. Things that the Lord abhors. Verse 4, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. I left that word out earlier. God is not in all his thoughts. A born-again believer should have God in all of your thoughts. Are we always that way? No, because we still live in these old fleshly bodies. But a wicked person, they refuse to think of God in every aspect of their lives. They refuse to make him number one priority. And how they relate to others. And how they run their business. And how they have family relationships. All the things that they do. They refuse to put God number one. Wicked people don't have to do things that society says are wicked. They only have to do things that God has not ordained for them to do. Let me say that again. The world can call you a righteous and good person. And yet you could still fail to do the will of God. The world will excuse you for many things that God will not excuse. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. And in many verses you have to turn on their head and say, okay, so the righteous should humble themselves in the way that they look and seek after God and think of God in everything. If you want to turn that verse on its head and you want to be righteous, you're going to have to put your thoughts on him. The Bible says he'll keep you in perfect peace if you'll keep his mind stayed on, keep your mind stayed on him. But we lose our peace when we do not consult God. That Bible story was a little funny to me. Because if my women and children have been taken, I I don't think I would stop to say, Lord, should I go after them? I would just be up and on my way. And while I was on my way, say, Lord, should I keep going? I mean, it's just, I, 
David thought of God in every circumstance. Even when he made a mistake, and I'm not talking about the big one that everybody talks about with Bathsheba. I'm talking about little mistakes, like when he cut off part of Saul's robe. He was struck. The Holy Spirit convicted him. He had to repent of stuff like that. I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. You know, It seemed like a good idea at the time. I had plenty of people backing me up with the idea, but man, I shouldn't have done that. We make mistakes that way. People around us, they're all for it until they find out it was a bad idea and then they're nowhere to be found when it's judgment time. You've got to put God in all your thoughts. Verse 5, it says, His ways are always grievous. This is a wicked person now. A wicked person's ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. So a wicked person just goes about doing what they do, and they don't even think about what God's doing. As high as an airplane is above your head. They can be flying over us right now, you're not even thinking about them. Well, that's the way God's ways are to a wicked person. They, they don't look up. They don't pay attention. And they puff up at all their enemies. Verse 6. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. So a wicked person thinks that calamity will never fall upon them. And it seems like they'll just continue on forever doing the wicked things that they do. I've gotten away with this for 20 years. I've done this all my life. There was a guy that uh, had a wreck. Um, my wife was driving in New Orleans after we first got married. We had not been married a month. And she was driving back and forth to school trying to get finished and she was down there in six lanes of traffic through a community. Lots of homes there. And she was in the far left lane. And a guy in the far right lane forgot her where he was. And decided that it was time for him to turn left. She didn't see it coming. Because he turned left across two lanes of traffic to get over and turn left. And so she T-boned him. He proclaimed to everybody that would listen to him that it was her fault that he had lived there for 40 years. Never had any trouble before. And when the cop got there and heard the story, he looked at the man and he said, you need to shut up. <laughs> you need to stop talking now. 40 years of evidence that he could do whatever he wanted to on that road, and that day he got T-boned. I mean, that's the way it is in life. Sometimes you do something wicked for long enough that you think, well, nobody's paying attention, and I can just keep on doing this. When I was driving in New Orleans, you go down the interstate, and if you try to drive the speed limit, everybody would run over you. So you get to where you drive about 20 above the speed limit just to keep up with traffic, and I thought that was just fine. You know, I love to drive fast anyway, and uh, we'd, all week long I'd go to work and I'd do everything. But one Sunday morning, I had my family in the car with me, and we were driving down that interstate, and it was about empty. Nobody's going to church on Sunday morning. I don't know what that was in New Orleans. But anyway, it was empty. And I was going the same speed I went every day of the week. And there was a cop on his motorcycle driving beside me, going the same speed. And he looked at me, and he flashed his blue lights as if to say, what are you doing, you big dummy? Slow down. Well, of course I did. But I thought, what's different between today and any other day of the week? It's because there was no traffic around. I was the only sucker out there, and 
He didn't want to give me a ticket on the way to church. I mean, he could see we were all dressed up. But come to find out, when the wicked aren't around to disguise your behavior, if you stand there naked before the Lord, you're going to see that his standards are still there. Even if the world around you act as if they're not. Be careful. Verse 7 says, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privately set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. I don't know why, but a kid that is one or two years old that has taken candy will go and hide themselves until that candy is consumed. If it's chocolate, it's everywhere. And if you've been around kids at all, you know that if a toddler is quiet, there's a problem. You know. You get this sinking, eerie feeling that they're doing something that they know better than to do. Now, how do they know better? It's because you've been around them enough and you still don't do that, don't do that. And they can understand that. So when they, they're doing something that they should not do, they hide. I have told my children that are in the room with me, I said, go in that room and see what they're doing. I think they're doing this. And they'll go in there and they say, yep, daddy, you were right. That's exactly what they were doing. You know what that comes from? 18 kids. Experience. How much more experience does your Heavenly Father have with dealing with you and people like you? He knows exactly where you are and exactly what you're doing all the time. All the time. Verse 11 says, He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Once you look just a few pages back in Psalm 33, if you'd like to turn there, you can. I'll be on the screen. Psalm 33, verse 13. It says, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. God sees you. He sees everybody. For those who are doing right and good and doing the things that he's called them to do through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he is waiting to reward you. But for those who have rejected his son, who have decided that they are going to fight God and resist him, 
He's waiting to destroy him. Sometimes you think you have gotten away with things. But if you don't have Christ, you never will. You never will get away with things. Verse 12, it says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. David says this because he sees people who are abused by wicked men, and, and he doesn't want God to forsake them. Verse 13 says, Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Contempt there, uh, you may have a different translation. It really means to treat God with contempt, as if God has no power there. I can remember my grandmother getting on to us, um, my father's mother, Ruth. She used to be a member here. And when she would get on to us, I, I treated her with contempt as a child. And she was old enough that if she got upset, she would get a belt and try to whip me. But she couldn't hardly swing it when I was running around in circles around her. That's all well and good unless Daddy finds out. <laughs> Daddy could catch me and he could discipline me. Mama couldn't. People think that God cannot catch you. And he can't discipline. Verse 14 says, Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. So what do you think God is going to do? If he advocates for the poor, and he advocates for the fatherless, and you go and mistreat those people, you mistreat poor people, you mistreat orphans, you mistreat aliens among you, you mistreat those that are in prison, you mistreat anybody, the elderly. What do you think God is going to do to those who wickedly mistreat those that he defends? Verse 15, break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take the strength of those who oppress and he's going to break it. And he's going to search it out until he finds the very last one. And when we live in the city of heaven, there will be no more oppressor. It'll all be taken away. Verse 16 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. But that we'll look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Revelation 11, 15, it'll be on the screen. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So every kingdom across the globe will belong to Jesus, 
You know what happens when he's in power and control? He rules with a rod of iron. And nothing in all of creation will be allowed to take place without his say-so. Verse 17. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed. That the man of the earth may no more oppress. I told you that that verse goes with verse 20 from chapter 9. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. It seems like people in this world have so much power. But they are as mere children standing before the God of the ages. They could call up the greatest army that they could ever find, and they will. And all he'll do is speak. And they'll be defeated. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Isaiah 1, 16 says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings. From before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I worry about the fate of our nation. Many times in the past I've said that you cannot legislate morality. To say that if you make something that is evil, illegal, it doesn't stop people from doing that action. <clears throat> the only way to change our nation will be to transform the hearts and minds of its people. And that is done through discipleship. That is done through people being born again. And when a nation turns its back on God and refuses to repent of its evil, then you will find orphans being oppressed, widows being mistreated, aliens among us suffering. You will find the poor being abused. I can't turn on the news for any city in this nation 
and not see those things happening. And it's because the church has failed to be the bride of Christ and do the work that we were sent here to do. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, against the bride. There's over 30 Baptist churches in this county. Could you imagine if every one of those churches just reached the people right around their church and ministered to them? That's what we've done in the past year. That's what we've labored to do together. To try to reach and to impact these people around this church. <coughs> Has it been easy? No. It has been spiritual war. And you come to find out that the Lord has to go before you to prepare people's hearts and minds. And it's not just going to be handed to you. You have to fight. Let's pray. God, you put this building here, no doubt in my mind. And the people that are in this building now, you've placed here. And there are people in this community that need Jesus. You have tasked us with a calling to make disciples of them. That's an impossible feat if we are not disciples first. For without Christ, nothing is possible. With you, Lord, everything becomes possible. So, Lord, I pray that the members of Calvary Baptist Church would dedicate themselves to being disciples of Christ. That if they were lost, they would be saved today. And if they are saved, they would seek you every day. And think about you in all of their thoughts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.